and we're going. Where are we going, Sam? Right now, we are heading to Lone Pine, California. So we are on the road, 395 north, right? Technically, we're still on 14, but uh, that's yeah. where we're going. That's where. Yeah, that's <laughs> why I'm not driving, because I have no clue where we're going. I'm just long for the ride. Um, but yeah, what? why? Why are we going? That's the real question. That's a good question. Um, why you and I are going is because you happened to be free in L.A. Yep serendipitously very serendipitously when i was coming through and i've been on the road for 17 days and having company seemed like it would be nice yeah i mean (laughs) you've got quite a journey behind you and ahead of you um before we dig into that which i'm sure we will i do have to start the podcast with the first official question which is what were you doing when you were seven years old whoa Um, (laughs) i like your expression and you can answer that in any any capacity. It's a it's a open I, I was in first grade when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. So what I would have been doing is hanging out with my best friend Tyler Rhodes, and we were. I know Tyler Rhodes. Yeah, of course, everyone knows Tyler. No, Rhodes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we'd be playing a game called Spies. Okay, how do you play Spies? Uh, it's fully imagination based, and we play it in one of our two houses and we just pretend that we're spies saving the world and typically our arch nemesis were the light brothers light brothers yeah and we were probably fighting against them so you guys were both good guys yeah we were good guys even though the bad guys were called the light brothers you're you're fighting against the light but you guys were not the darkness nope okay so imagine i like that there's some nice pure wholesome imagination which i think is important to any good childhood mm-hmm. um so and you had so this, <laughs> you had this grand goal to save the world and create world peace um, of course very lofty and very idealistic that's um that's very cute um <laughs> do you, and now that we are in 2020 and are you saying we didn't do our job? I mean, I, I'm, I'm leaving that to you. How, do you guys, how do you feel compared to when we were seven, when you were seven and now the world is um, literally burning as we drive through California and we're in the middle of a pandemic and all the other issues that are happening are happening. Um, do you still maintain some of that idealistic childlike splendor? That's a tough question. Um, I think in the light of light of everything that's happening right now with the global pandemic and the Black Lives Matter uprising, I think it's hard to. Mm-hmm. It's been really, really difficult to find that joy. And I have a lot of days where I feel really pessimistic about humanity. Yeah. Uh, but what I look back on is that me, Tyler and I are two kids who grew up in a small conservative town um, and we came out on the on an, an ethical side where we care about humanity I think if a small conservative town can pump out two caring people I think generally the world is trending in a positive direction yeah and I mean I know you've been to some of the protests up in where was that Portland Seattle Seattle we were based in Seattle and 
And it's important that you've been active and you're wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt right now I as am we right speak. Now. Um, and we were talking earlier about how this, every generation has some sort of great struggle, whether it's the Great Depression or the Great War or, um, you know, any number of either nationwide or global calamities. I think this is certainly our generation's fight. And hopefully we emerge on the other side of it stronger. Hopefully, hopefully it's the only fight that our generation has to face. Yeah, it's a big one. And, you know, we were talking about how it's so interesting how people are going to emerge on the other side of this from, you know, the adults who are going through it to the college kids who are, you know, having to forego the standard college experience or standard high school graduation experience. They're not going to prom, et cetera. And then all the way down to the kindergartners who are having their first days of school online. Mm -hmm. We have no idea how it's going to affect us in the long term. And yeah, no one's no one's coming away from this unscathed. No, and I mean, no one. I think it's it, you know it's all relative, and I've had a a pretty easy pandemic, I think, relative to most people. But at the same time, I've had my own emotional and psychological struggles with the circumstances. Have mm -hmm. you had? Well, how has it felt for you? I mean, obviously, you're you're in school. You're in a master's program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, graduate school for um, counseling. School counseling, which yeah. is a great mission and but how has it been for you have you have you struggled with the isolation and the i don't know the loneliness of quarantine have you been able to get out and socialize i mean of, of, yeah of course i struggled um i was living alone in seattle at the time when before the pandemic that was a great situation <laughs> right. to be able to go home and just like hang out with my dog and not have to just be able to like refresh from all the people. And then once the pandemic hit, it was became just like a really, really just a pretty lonely environment. Um, especially for a while there, while it was still winter in Seattle and it was mm -hmm. rainy and dreary, but yeah, it was, it was lonely. I think <laughs> the trend for my pandemic was, it was, it was weird. So it started off like for me, the main, problem was like the pandemic itself um so there weren't other necessary like problems in my life um so i started off like rebelling against the loneliness by like downloading every dating app known to man oh boy <laughs> and just chatting away and just chatting like trying trying my hardest to find someone to like survive the pandemic with yeah um, and then that puts a lot of pressure on that person. Like it's just a real, a, little, a real a life raft of a, <laughs> of a partner, a, a, I don't know, a dating potential. Right. Uh, yeah. I did a lot of, uh, Netflix party dates. Okay. Is that where you watch something at the same time? You watch something at the same time and you chat during it. Wow. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. It's great. You're like live, live tweeting at one person. Yep. And just trying to be as witty and clever as possible, yeah. I imagine, as you make fun of the movie or enjoy the movie. Exactly. How, how were those? How did those dates go? Um, they were fine. Fine. That's a good feel. They are, they are fine. I mean, you're just chatting on your phone during a movie. It's not... There wasn't anything amazing to it. But there were like a handful of... I risked it and had a handful of in-person dates and mm -hmm. made some delicious meals with some people. Yeah. Got into pasta making, making my own homemade pasta. Nice. Because I couldn't make 
bread like everyone else. <laughs> you couldn't make bread? <laughs> I, I tried to get on the, the sourdough train, and my apartment was too cold, so I kept killing my uh, starters. You killed your mother? Yeah. <laughs> very very <laughs> edible. And that's not edible, but yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, it seems like the whole bread train was a, a rite of passage for quarantine. I didn't go through that. I Someone gave me a starter recently, and I immediately killed it. So that was that dashed my dreams of ever making bread. Yep. Um, but I'm curious. So you're in between semesters right now. Mm-hmm. And what what spawned this road trip? What was the idea behind it? Was it was it simply escape or was it something you would have done if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic? It was actually more of a I've had this idea for a while and was like set to do it in spite of right everything that's happening. Um, you've been planning it for a while. Yeah. So I moved to Seattle like a little over a year ago for graduate school mm-hmm. and grew up in the Midwest and have never seen any of the West coast and I've always wanted to. And just like this, like dream was always to just like drive the Pacific coast highway from Seattle down all the way into Baja, California and then back up. Yeah. You almost made it. I almost made it. I made it to LA. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you turn, I, you're like, that's enough. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the real thing is like, originally I would have done it with people. Like I would have, had friends come but a lot of people like people weren't traveling didn't want to fly to go drive in a car and then get back on an airplane and risk the exposure right so i didn't i didn't feel like going all the way to baja by myself that's yeah just, i guess that far I mean, and i get how that could kind of change your itinerary do you think it's fundamentally changed what you've gotten out of this trip having been more of a solo mission than sort of a bouncing from friend to friend type of deal i i don't i don't think so because I, I think there are still some bits of that, like, friends joining the expedition moments. Like, I had my sister and her boyfriend joined for the first few days. Um, and I, like, met up with some people in San Francisco. I'd met up with a friend yesterday in Santa Barbara. And now here you are. Yep. In the car on the road. And, and of course, you have Finn, your dog, in the Finn's back. Finn's always there. Yeah. Who's been keeping you company. Mm-hmm. Who's just the chillest dog. Doing his best. Yeah. Staying quiet. And, um, you know, another part of this trip has been just taking photos, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Because that's how <clears throat> we met back in, I don't know, a year ago, over a year ago. I was over doing some, Almost uh, two years ago. some e-com work for Levi's in Minneapolis, and you were assisting the photographer in the studio there. Right. And we just had some time to chat and connected on Instagram, stayed in touch. And you told me about this road trip, I don't know, a long time ago. And I, I just, did tell you about it a long time ago. Yeah. yeah and I always had in the back of my mind that it'd be nice to join. And then, you know, the pandemic hit and I was like, well, that's probably not going to happen. And then right. it just worked out that I was able to jump on board and you promised that we'd take some test photos along the way. And I'm going to ditch you in Reno and hang out with some friends who are quarantining in Nevada city. And yeah, serendipity is the, the word. Yeah. Um, how's the photography been hard to say? Cause I've shot so much of it and have had, just such little motivation to like sit in my car and edit photos. Yeah. You kind of just want to be in the moment and then process it later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of friends who like process as they go and that's just never been me. I feel better fully immersing myself in the experience and feel like once I sit behind my laptop, it takes me out of it. And then I'm, and then I'm on the trip to like get shots Right. As opposed to just like taking pictures while I'm on the trip. And then it's about the product and not the process. Yeah. And I, I prefer to stay 
in that process. So I've probably shot over, I don't know, two or 3,000 photos at this point. Yeah, I'm going to have a heck of a lot of work. You're going to shoot a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make got... you get that camera out and put you to work. Oh, my gosh. Um, but I'm curious, how did your photography journey start? When did you get interested in photography? I took a black and white film photo class my, I think it was my junior year of high school. Same. And so we like had a dark room at my high school. And mm -hmm. so we were doing our, all our own developing and printing. And I really fell in love with the dark room is what I fell in love with. The process of just like throwing on an album and just like staying in there for hours, like tweaking and editing and pro like processing all that, all those shots was just such a relaxing yeah. experience. It's almost meditative, the low light or the red light. It's and definitely meditative for you sure. You have to do this, you know, you get the process down and the, the, de the development, pro the development process down and you have to wait for these chemicals to cure and mm -hmm. you're sort of, I guess you can kind of find like a flow state because you have this sort of low impact task you're doing, mm -hmm. but you have to be focused at the same time and you're working towards a goal that's, you know, a ways down the line, but mm -hmm. you have all these little steps that you have to take along the way. And yeah, I, I did the same thing. I fell in love with the dark room in high school and then moved to digital photography later on. You got, get your yep. first DSLR and you start shooting, shooting, I don't know, I shot landscapes or whatever inspired me, the outdoors mostly. What did you gravitate towards? Um, so, so I took that film class um, and then didn't really touch a camera for a little while after that. And it wasn't until, like I, I'd pick it up every so often and was never really psyched about uh, what came out the other end. Yeah. And it wasn't until I took another black and white film photo class my senior year of college because I just like had some spare room in my schedule. I was like, man, I really loved that in high school. I want to try it again. So I took another one and just once again, like fell right back into that. Um, plus the joy of just like feeling kind of like a mad scientist in yeah. the dark room, like watching those, like just like doing stuff with chemicals and then like putting something in the water and like some pictures like start to magically emerge. It's, yeah, like, it's like alchemy. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And you talk about how you, you weren't inspired by what you were producing early on after mm -hmm. you took that first darkroom class. And it's funny because the sandwich you ate for lunch was called the Ira Glass. And <laughs> Ira Glass has this quote that I love where he talks about the gap in creativity between when you start doing something and you know that the work you're putting out is shit, there's this gap mm -hmm. where you're not happy with it, but you have to power through it to have your aspirations catch up with your skills. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing that people that's where people start to feel that like resistance and they're like, ah, well, what's the point if I'm never going to be able, never gonna be able to produce what I want to produce? Like why, why keep trying? Mm -hmm. And the key is powering through that. And luckily you took that second darkroom class and it kind of got you over the hump. Well, no, that was like still me powering through. <laughs> really? It wasn't actually until a couple years later that I like found what inspired me and like found my like groove in photography. So I graduated undergrad and moved to New Mexico and was like shooting out in New Mexico and like went on this big wilderness trip with Knowles cool. and was shooting during that and having a great time, but like still wasn't ever really in love with what I was shooting. Mm -hmm. And then I took a trip to Iceland. I have some family friends who have a place in Iceland that they run as a bed and breakfast. And I went and cool. worked for them for a summer just to clear my head after being in New Mexico for a little while and needing a change of scenery. Going from the desert to Iceland is a, it was the, yeah, just quite switched. a 180. Mm -hmm. And 
honestly, it was the the combination of like the headspace I was in in Iceland, just like feeling really just like comfortable and was loving immersing myself in the culture and the people I was surrounded by and was having a lot of conversations and that was allowing me to feel really comfortable exploring by myself with my camera you were connected Mm -hmm. and then the landscape in Iceland is just right so wildly different than anything you see anywhere else and it just has this really really beautiful like simplistic aesthetic to it kind Mm -hmm. of where Mm -hmm. it's like it's these insane things you're looking at but in this really subtle kind of a way it's like it it isn't overwhelming when you look at it in terms of like the amount of things you're looking at it's kind of just like simple features but these really bizarre simple features and those factors like all combined like really made me feel like i like fell right into my photographic style yeah and like from that point on it was like oh man like i'm in it now like i know what i'm doing i know what i'm looking for and i I would have to think that you know photography in iceland is almost like cheating because the (laughs) landscapes lend themselves so well to like you said those minimalistic stark but like Mm -hmm. dramatic compositions Mm mm-hmm so I'd have to think that was a turning point for you where you started producing work that you're like, oh, I like this. Like, mm-hmm. I put this on my wall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there are there are still shots from that from that trip that I am, like, eager to print and put on my wall. Yeah, I think I had that breakthrough. As we're, we're driving near Death Valley right now, I took my digital SLR to, to Death Valley right when I moved to L.A. back in, like, 2012 and just shot like sand dunes and rock formations and tried mm-hmm. to create abstract imagery by zooming in on landscapes because you know landscapes in black and white are nothing new Ansel Adams has kind of killed it and you can't really do better right but I tried to find you know sexy shapes in nature by you know taking a picture of the curve of a sand dune and then inver- inverting it so it mm. you kind of don't know what you're looking at and okay. that's when I first kind of like had my click moment for photography and um and then we were talking earlier again about how I haven't been shooting lately because Instagram kind of put me off photography mm-hmm. as everyone became a photographer. Right. And, and it's like, well, this isn't special anymore. And like camera phones. And- yeah. Everyone's got a camera and everyone's creating these beautiful images. So like, what do I have to offer? Right. It's daunting. It's daunting. And it, the market started to seem so saturated. Everyone's an amateur yeah. photographer. So yeah. well, they don't need one more. And I think I kind of put my camera away then and have n- I don't. I haven't touched a proper camera since in many, many years, which is sort of sad. Um, but you pushed on after Iceland, you kind of got the bug. Yeah, definitely. I definitely got the bug. It just became a way for me really to share the experiences I was having in the outdoors with other people. Yeah. So less of like I was going in the outdoors to shoot. I was in the outdoors and had my cam and just had my camera with me. I don't, I generally don't, like scout and like go on purposeful shoots i mostly like go enjoy the outdoors and like i feel like i stumble upon compositions yeah it's something like um you you don't live to shoot you shoot to live or uh, there's something some sort of maxim in there but i get it you like you want to be in the moment that's goes back to your idea of not processing things as you shoot them just Mm -hmm. capturing when you feel inspired and then moving on to the next moment Mm -hmm. and actually being present in it and not worrying about what you're getting out of it exactly yeah it's, it's my way to it's my way of expressing my 
my love for the outdoors. And I think and that is there. very antithetical to what, you know, Instagram photography has done to us as a culture or mm-hmm. as a aesthetically minded um, people because people are only places to get that image, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see a geotag, you're like, oh, I got to go there. I got to get, get that shot. I got to go to that pig beach where all the models swim with pigs on the beach. Like, <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. You've never seen those photos? <laughs> no. Or it's like, you know, like... There was a big thing in LA, like the Museum of Ice Cream, and every single girl had a photo of them in the. There's like a mm. sprinkle pool you could swim in, and every single girl had a photo in the sprinkle pool. That or, sounds gross, actually. I mean, especially in this day and age, just to quote the germs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pandemic pool. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I remember I went to Coachella in like 2013, and I was seeing Santa Gold, and she was like, hey guys, like put your cameras away for a second and just be here. No one mm. wants to see this photo of you at a concert. So just like enjoy the moment. Yeah. And listen um, to the music. Yeah. I think that, that mindset of like, what can I get out of this? What can I get to like, people are thinking so many steps ahead about getting the likes for the photo of them being mm-hmm. there that they're not there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like I'm not a big selfie person. I'm not a big, like capture, like taking my phone out and taking pictures of everything. And, I think that's why I like modeling is because like photos for me have a place and it's like a job Mm -hmm. when I'm taking photos, I'm taking photos and I'm putting all my energy into that because that's what I'm supposed to be doing in that moment. But Mm -hmm. in the moments where that's not my job, I just like, you don't want that. I just let it ride. I just try to make some, some memories, man, you know, yeah. Visual, you know, mental photography. Um, but you also kind of went the professional route and started, I guess, photo assisting and getting Mm -hmm. on set and, putting photography in a place where you could do it as a way to just explore your love of the wilderness, but you could also do it in a professional setting. Well, I moved to Minneapolis to like check that out to see if using my photography in that way was something that I would enjoy, Mm -hmm. like staking my financial like claim on it essentially. And honestly, like pretty quickly found out that that is not what I enjoyed. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't like, turning my photography into something that I had to rely on to eat at night. Yeah. As soon as you start commercializing your art, it starts to not feel special. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a lot of situations where I've started an art series or a photography series or done something creative just because I had the inspiration to and just because I wanted to and it fulfilled me. And then I started sharing it and people responded to it and they're like, well, you should sell these. And I'd create an Etsy page and Mm -hmm. then never do it again because Mm -hmm. it just felt like it cheapened the whole process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, again, why I like modeling is because modeling is not something you do day to day because it like, it's your passion and you're inspired by it and fulfilled by it. It's, it's a job mm-hmm. and I can separate that creative outlet from all the other little creative outlets I have. And this is the one I make money at. And the other ones mm-hmm. I do can be hobbies mm-hmm. and, it seems like now as you're going through graduate school, you're moving more towards the, what is it? The vocation or advocate. I don't know. You're making it more of a hobby than something you're staking your financial claim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think the, the style in which I shoot doesn't really lend itself nicely to make money off of it because it is so like by the seat of my pants kind of a way that I shoot. It's like, I'm out there experiencing things and when I see the shot then I capture it I don't I'm not out there like with the shot in mind and then putting the pieces together to make the shot I'd rather 
stumble upon it than than create it. And that's and that's one of the reasons I didn't like. Uh, I didn't think the photo industry, especially the commercial photo industry in Minneapolis, was for me because it was mostly uh, like sets and studio shoots and where you're yep. like you're literally creating every aspect of the photo and the camera doesn't really move. You kind of just like the camera's there, you put everything together yeah. and then you just click a shutter and I'd rather be running around to like use my eye to find the shot that I want to capture. Yeah, I mean studio photography, particularly e-commerce work is so technical. You you, mm-hmm. you know, you lock off the camera, you set the lighting, you oh, like it's, it's yeah, it's lighting engineering white more than background, it is photography. And it's yeah, it's all physics of of light and Mm -hmm. and then you know i go on set for eight ten hours and i'm changing clothes and i'm you know going through the stylist and getting judged and everything gets perfect but the photographers just click 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 Mm -hmm. click okay turn to the side click 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 got it turn to the side click click and back turn 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 and you know it's it's very repetitive and i'm sure there's some fulfillment in being that good at such a technical thing because brands rely on your consistency and mm-hmm. your your aptitude for creating um, images that are repeatable and you know you can't have any variation in mm-hmm. studio shooting and that's that's right. a very cool skill to have but yeah it's just not the technicality isn't something that, that appeals to me right you are more you want to feel the soul of it right yeah absolutely so you went from you know pursuing this career in photography to graduate school what sort of prompted that shift it was actually one of the most cliche experiences that i (laughs) i think someone who enjoys the outdoors can have i was i decided to do a through hike by myself or with finn so i guess kind of by myself um and a weekend like 150 miles in where did you through hike i was doing the superior hiking trail which is it follows like the minnesota coast of lake superior cool and yeah, after about seven days of 20 plus mile days, I was having like mentally like a, a kind of hard time. Like the food I packed wasn't really appealing to me. Yep. Um, I was putting in just like massive days. So like I was physically pretty exhausted. Uh, I didn't have like any company other than like my dog and he's not super talkative. Yeah. I mean, your brain just gets going, I'm sure. Yeah. And so I was, I was like pretty taxed mentally and emotionally and eventually like recognized that and spent a couple hours, uh, a handful of miles just meditating while I walked mm-hmm. to just, just like focusing on my breath, like not even really consciously like meditating was just like breathing to try to like slow my head down. And I came out of it in this clearing and sat down to eat a snack and had my Snickers. And honestly, like the idea of pursuing a, a future in therapy and counseling kind of hit me. You just had some clarity. Just like, yeah, like, like an epiphany. Snickers um, satisfies. Snickers satisfies. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so I had that thought and I played with it for the next like day or so while I was hiking and it just started to feel more and more right. And got off the trail i decided to to head home i i didn't feel like the trail was serving me anymore and continued to have those conversations where yeah, you got what you came for right yeah and you, i didn't even know that that was why i was there but i walked away with that and explored that idea with 
my systems, like my family and my friends. And the more we all talked about it, the more it seemed to make sense. And yeah, yeah, eventually started researching grad schools and moved out to Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I I love the idea of through hiking. A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson is one of my favorite books mm-hmm. of all time. It's about through hiking the Appalachian Trail and that, you know, the struggles of getting into the routine. The Appalachian Trail is 2,200 miles or something. It goes from Georgia to Maine. And, you know, you, once you get over that hump and you get into a groove, yeah, your mind goes. And you start mm-hmm. to think about all the weird things you said and all the mistakes you made since you were a little right. kid. And you have all that introspective time. And it's been said that, like, through hiking, uh, reveals answers to questions you didn't know you were asking. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that's what happened for you. Um, and I, I think that's that space, giving yourself those seven days of space to think is um, sort of in parallel to the space that everyone's going through right now. The isolation, mm-hmm. the lack of stimulation, and the introspection that people are going through in this quarantine, right. which is causing them to reevaluate their choices and their position and yeah. their goals. and. Um, I mean, I think I think the lucky ones are having those experiences, right? If you can if you can get away from just pure frustration, right? Yeah, because I mean, I, I chose I chose that isolation and it was intentional, and so I think that right. that allowed me a little easier to step into that discomfort. Whereas I think the like forced quarantine is shaking a lot of people, right? Because um, it's not a choice; it's not yeah. something they want or something they maybe haven't been even ready for. Yeah, and then like just being in that that fear of the pandemic is kind of a hindrance to like allowing yourself to like sit with discomfort because there's already so many things that are uncomfortable yeah like that are so obvious but i think like i said like i think the lucky people are are able to use that space to help them become introspective and reevaluate like their situations and the people they spend their time with and what they're doing with their life and hopefully come out of it with like some new ideas and ways to live their best yeah i mean i i've certainly been struggling with it because the last six years of my life have been spent running around like a madman going to auditions trying to get in gym workouts Mm -hmm. trying to go on a hike you know hang out with my dog do a podcast see my girlfriend it's i've just been busy and it's it's occupied my physical and mental space to such a degree that now that I don't have that sort of busybody occupation, I have been desperately trying to distract myself from mm. the deafening silence of inactivity. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that I'm not great at creating um, the urgency of like I'm not great at planning things to do. I'm, I'm good at getting things done that I have to do. Okay. But in when given you know so much space i kind of just waste time and i don't know get into negative feedback patterns as opposed to positive ones and definitely done a lot of reevaluating in this pandemic time but i think it's important to try to use that time to 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 look inward and see where mm-hmm. the discomfort's coming from and then analyze it and adjust that's a hard thing to do yeah it's very hard. So what's what's the goal when you as you go through school and then come out of it? Oh man. Um I mean, that goal has I think really beautifully been shifting during because of the pandemic and particularly because of the Black Lives Matter uprising. I originally started pursuing 
counseling and therapy just to like, I, I felt like I was living a really confident, intentional life with the choices I was making and wanted to give that confidence and intentionality to others. Mm-hmm. And so that was the original motivation. And then after having my, I mean, unfortunately it took me this long, but having my like blindfold taken off to like the systemic inequalities in the world. Yeah. Recognizing that I can go into school counseling and cause and help influence like systemic change is like a passion that I didn't even know I had. And I'm now like totally consumed by to be able to, to use that position as a school counselor in a school within a district within a state to help improve like equitability for like marginalized students is something that I'm just so looking forward to be able being able to contribute to well that's such a a beautiful self-transcendent mission which Mm -hmm. you know to really be fulfilled you need to get out of your own head it's got to be something more than like what can you get and it's got to you've got to have some element of giving back to a community or right. a larger purpose. Yeah. It was kind of this transition from, and I think this is what a lot of people are seeing and seeing a struggle with is that individualistic versus collectivism. And I think I had, I like transitioned from like that individualistic state of like counseling, wanting to counsel like individual clients to help them individually to now it's like, okay, like I want to help like the collective the like collective school, the collective nation, like, yeah, it's no longer this like one-on-one one-on-one isn't enough anymore. It's like, how can I influence communities and broader groups? Yeah. I mean, I get that. I, I, I've had lots of thoughts about my career trajectory in the past few months, but I can liken it to modeling. And, you know, when I started out modeling is all about what am I getting out of this? Am Mm -hmm. I getting money? Am I getting fame? Am I getting my face on billboards or in Mm -hmm. ads that my friends are going to see and it's going to boost my ego. Mm -hmm. And as I kind of got over that and started to get better as a model and think about instead of what can I get out of the shoot, what can I bring to the shoot? What can I offer? I became by orders of magnitude, a better model because I went in with this attitude of giving as opposed to taking. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's pretty, I don't know. It's, it's a pretty superficial industry at the face of it, but mm-hmm. it is a, a analogy for that same sort of perspective and that same sort of self-transcendence where you got to get out of your own head, mm-hmm. stop thinking about yourself so much and how can you contribute to the larger purpose, which for me in my career is shoots. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, at this point, it is a technical skill for me and it's not... Um, it's not something that I just want to like take from. It's something I want to give back to. And it seems, I don't know. I seem, I seem silly for saying that you can (laughs) give back to the modeling community, but that's what inspired this podcast. And that's what keeps me going on a day to day basis. Yeah. I mean, Um, I think, I think at the end of the day, like, uh, modeling, I mean, like you're still a person interacting with other people. So like there's, there's still ways to give back. I mean, like it's still human interaction and there's community there and it's, it might not be like the most humanitarian right field, but like you're still working with humans. So, yeah, I mean that, that humanitarian, um, that lack of humanitarianism in my field is, you know, I've struggled with that, you know, even from back when I lived in the middle East, 
uh, I was working in theme park design while all my friends worked for UN NGOs and they were mm. dealing with refugees coming out of Syria and Palestinian refugees and Iraqi refugees and how to get them food and water and shelter. And I was like, let's let's put more loops on this <laughs> roller coaster. And it always felt like I was just not quite up to speed in terms of, you know, contributing to the world. Mm. And, you know, my girlfriend works at a school and she talks about how when she is she's one of the dorm parents and when she's just like on duty and these kids come to her with issues and she can provide, you know, a, a caring adults perspective on these very sensitive teenage issues. She she loves it and she loves giving back in that way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm missing that that element in my life to some extent, like like I have this thought of like i need to volunteer more i need to give back more and i don't know I, I definitely am struggling with that so i i am i envy your the clarity of your mission that you have now i think it's beautiful yeah i mean we're still in a pandemic you've still got time for that for that introspection if you're, st you're yeah. still looking for a good time is a road trip man a lot of time <laughs> to think absolutely and um tonight we're gonna where we're gonna hit Near Lone Pine, we're going to Alabama Hills. Alabama Hills, yeah. Hit that, check that out at sunrise. Watch the, the morning sun light up the, eastern Sierras. Yeah. Get blown away by the beauty of the earth. Find some hot springs, hopefully. Oof, yeah. Some hot springs in some hot weather. Yeah, and I mean, part of me even feels guilty for going on this trip because it's like, yeah, we're being safe and we're socially distancing and we're, you know, gone through all our proper precautions, but it does feel a little frivolous, but at the same time it's necessary because LA is so claustrophobic. The mm. pandemic is so claustrophobic. And we were talking earlier about how like you need that feeling of being unleashed so you can explore and gain a new perspective that you may not have gotten in your usual circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's opportunities for self care. Yeah. Those are paramount. And I'm curious if you've had any insights in the last 17 days, just, you know, beyond the usual. I wouldn't say I've had any epiphanies like I did on the Superior hiking trail. Um, nothing's, nothing's hit me quite so hard. I haven't been maybe setting myself up for those quite as at, at the best of my ability. I haven't been journaling as much as I would like to be. Um, sometimes I, you just got to live and not reflect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that makes me feel guilty, though. Yeah, surprisingly, I haven't um, been journaling either lately, and it's been weighing on my conscience. Yeah, I think I've the most I've I've gotten on this trip, and I think it was something we talked about earlier today was the experience of surfing my way down the Pacific coast and just being continuously humbled by the ocean and just being reminded at like kind of putting my place in terms of my skill level uh -huh. and like when I need to surrender to what's happening around me. Um, and I think I took a lot of that and I applied that to the trip cause I was entering California at a time when a lot of it was burning and was feeling really frustrated about what that meant for where I was going to go. And I had all these like expectations for the trip and that set me up to kind of like miss a lot of those expectations. So I was in the ocean just, getting like thrashed Humbled, by yeah. by some whitewash and it all like culminated in just like some ferocious screaming into the abyss of waves and yeah 
taking all that anger out on the water. Um, well, there's something to that humbling. I, you know, I, I try to surf as well and I don't love being held underwater, but still I go back and I take my lumps because the ocean does not give a fuck about you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to, I mean, even just on a day to day basis, just to, to feel like, Oh, I'm not in complete control. Like mm -hmm. I'm, you know, there are forces much larger than me that are uncaring, but can also be beautiful if pursued and harnessed in the right ways. Right. I think it was just at that moment that day, it was like the combination of like the wildfires and feeling like they were throwing like these massive curveballs and like me trying to paddle past this whitewater and continuously getting pushed back and feeling like that, like echoing the entire Black Lives Matter movement and feeling like we've been trying to make these steps yeah, and they, no just progress. Keep, they keep getting pushed back and it's just like this endless frustration and you feel like you're just like stuck on this treadmill and the treadmill is going right. faster than you are and you're just slowly going backwards. Yeah, it feels like a war of attrition. Yeah. But it's that effort. If you don't, if you stop making effort, you will, you will never make progress. Mm -hmm. And you may be stuck right. in the same set for half an hour trying to paddle out and then you look back and you're still at the beach and it's so frustrating, but the effort is what matters. Mm -hmm. And I think people are still, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's, you know, it feels like it's just one step forward, two steps back. But if you, if you stop taking that one step forward, you'll never, you'll never make it any ground. Right. And, right. um, I get that frustration. So I'm glad that you have that sort of primal screen therapy. It's probably, yeah. I mean, I, I finally like gave up and paddled back into shore by paddle back into shore. I mean, like I was like washed up onto shore right. and Finn was there and just like immediately like lifted my spirits and gave me a big kiss on the face and after that, I, just, I felt like exhausted and was able to recognize the beauty in that experience and got back out the next day. So there you go. You see, you got back out the next day. That's what matters. You didn't give up. And yeah, I mean, that's a good attitude to have. I think we're in this treadmill of 2020 where it's mm -hmm. like the hits keep coming. But what are you going to do? Like curl up into a ball and cry? You got you got to. Yeah, it's OK to take a moment to have feel frustration and anger and right. dismay but i don't know you got to keep living yeah and I, and I think that was what i learned is that like it's okay to just like you said it's okay to have that moment and like feel that really intense like anger and frustration and maybe even curl up in a ball and cry for a little bit and then yeah. recognize that you you eventually got to uncurl and get back out there yeah so i'm i'm curious as we talk about all these heavy things um what role photography is now playing in your life as you you have this new mission that's mm -hmm. your you know your your goal as a professional but what do you think photography provides for you i think it still provides a lot of similar things for me in terms of like a way for me to experience the outdoors yeah in but in terms of like how I am sharing that, that's changed a lot. I've felt like that space that my photos were taken up on the, the interwaves are like, it just doesn't feel quite as good to be using that space anymore. Well, yeah, because I've, you know, I've followed you on Instagram since we've known each other and you take beautiful photos and you capture a tone of exploration and adventure and, you know, your compositions, 
are fantastic. And I Thank watched you. you sort of build a following in that space. And there are these guys who do that full time. Those Instagram photographers who, mm-hmm. what's that? I don't know what the one guy's name is, but I can't even follow him because he's just like always on a helicopter somewhere. <laughs> and like, it's like, wow, man, it's amazing. You've carved out that life. But I get where you're coming from in, in saying that it didn't feel like you were contributing. So you've sort of scaled back your mm-hmm. output of your like, yeah, look at my photos, follow me. I think, I think my, my perspective and the way I feel about my photography juxtaposed with the rest of the world has, it's changed. I still love it. I still do it. Um, I think I, I probably share it less and I think I personally engage with it less, but I think that's also just is because of like my homework load <laughs> course load from graduate school. Yeah. You gotta, you can't just spray and pray all day. Right. Um, but but that- I, I have been meeting a lot of really amazing people through Instagram, especially since the protests and been able to like have a lot of really cool conversations. And especially on this road trip, being able to meet up with people that I've only known through there. Um, yeah, you took a chance on me. You didn't yeah. know me that well. And <laughs> here I am in your car in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> We're going to be sleeping in a rooftop tent tonight. Yep. With Finn. He'll be your guard dog. Oh, he's the worst guard dog. Nah. I'm sure he could have a, a nice little growl if he needed to. Yeah, maybe. But um, I don't know. I, I uh, This all feels very unique in the fact that this just came together and yeah it took you being open to you know you went on this adventure but you're also open to what comes and I didn't know I was going to be on this mm-hmm. adventure until I don't know two days ago we were DMing mm-hmm. and decided I was like alright I'll just come yeah it was like the day before I got into LA <laughs> yeah and that that openness to new experiences and new people and um, not necessarily like you didn't just bring me along so you could take photos of me that wasn't your goal. It was, it was more kind of like, I have to take photos of you in order for you to come along. <laughs> no, I mean, I wanted to come along just to get out of the city, but, and hang out with you. And, um, but yeah, I think your intention is in the right spot in terms of just like going with the flow, mm-hmm. being open and exploring. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that same metaphor of the ocean. It's like, you're going to do, you got to kind of like listen to what she's, what she's doing. Listen to her movements and, kind of go where the current's going and not like you can fight it but it's gonna be a lot easier if you you kind of listen and play to your strengths and right you gotta you gotta go where the winds are taking you yep which is our plan on this trip you know we have a spot for tonight but then we have a whole day tomorrow to explore and we have a destination but you know we're really about enjoying the Mm -hmm. journey i went on a trip that was very similar to Knowles with a group called adventure treks and the motto of that program was happiness isn't a destination it's a way to travel Mm. and Mm -hmm. that can be easy to forget you know that it goes back to the idea of product versus process and the what you can get out of it at the end versus what you're experiencing Mm -hmm. in the moment Mm -hmm. um so i'm glad that you pulled me out of my (laughs) isolation (laughs) and allowed me to take a little adventure that I don't know what the plan is, but I'm just going to enjoy it and see what happens. Yeah, little did you know that you were my quarantine life raft. Here you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, you agreed to do a podcast. You let me pay for your dinner. A beautiful Subway sandwich. <laughs> it's a weird Subway sandwich. 
yeah, it's, the flavors were <laughs> they were not ideal. They did, were not super complimentary. Well, you get like, I still have half of it. Sometimes you, you feel like a lot of pressure to build the sandwich when they're you know standing there waiting for you to place mm-hmm. your order, and you end up with like black olives and pickles and you know some I don't know Southwest sauce. Yep. It just happens. But I mean, pressure also leads to diamonds. So you know mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta embrace that as well. <laughs> um, so as we wrap up here I'm, I'm curious if you have any advice for people who are i don't know aspiring photographers or people who are just lost on their path right now or dealing with the frustrations of quarantine what would you what would you offer to our listeners wow oh, yeah um, open-ended advice that i would give people wow sometimes i feel like i'm not even i shouldn't be giving advice i don't know that i <laughs> as you pursue a career in counseling <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. I guess I view counseling less as, as me giving advice and more as me helping someone find the advice within themselves. Yeah, um, that's pretty. So I guess the advice I would give is give you like I don't be patient with yourself. Like, give yourself the space and time and love that it needs. Mm-hmm. Don't always hold yourself to your own expectations. Get, like live the the beautiful intentional life that feels good for you yeah and i mean that space sometimes like you went on that through hike and you created that space for yourself but sometimes the space is created for you mm-hmm. and like you've been saying with your ocean analogy like you can fight it or you can lean into it mm-hmm. and harness it and i think that's what i've been struggling to do with this this pandemic is to embrace the negative space as a positive because mm-hmm. you know all of my training in art and fine art in college, you know, the negative space is just as important as the positive spaces. Mm-hmm. The, what you leave blank on the canvas is just as important as the paint you lay down. And that's a good refresher for me just to, you know, f- try to find a way to twist what you perceive as a crushing negative silence or vacuum in your life and mm-hmm. find a way to create or, or at least search for some sort of purpose or, reason for it um yeah yeah what else can you do yeah just just listen to what is happening yeah man and now i'm like what should i do with my life (laughs) (laughs) well maybe we'll we'll have some insights on this journey i don't know yeah i hope so uh well thanks for talking to me man i appreciate it and um you're doing a really good job of holding that microphone while driving (laughs) thank you no more talking for the rest of the trip now okay (laughs) goodbye (laughs) 